I hope you're having an awesome end of the summer and beginning of school. Parents, those of you that get to ship off kids this week, are you not thrilled and excited about that? I know our students feel the same uh, on that, but uh, good to see you this morning. And there's a lot of things kicking off as we gear up into the fall. Uh, we, as we, as we launch into the fall, we're focusing a great deal on what we do together on Sunday mornings, um, our time together on Sunday mornings, and really focusing the majority of our ministry together on Sunday morning. It's a convenient time for all of us to be here and so forth. And being that we're a church that, that's in the heart of the city, uh, and, uh, and the, many of us live on the outside. Now, many of us also live right here, but a lot of us live throughout the whole city. And uh, so being part of midweek stuff and being here on a regular basis is something that's a little bit more difficult. So we're really focusing on making the time together on Sunday mornings uh, even better and even greater. And so our students and our children's ministries are, are doing some unique things and some new things this fall, launching off into that. And uh, also, as we launch off in the fall, we're really excited to have Derek Smith and his family. Derek and Lashana are sitting right here. You haven't had a chance to meet Lashana yet, but um, they just moved this weekend into Charlotte, and Derek is our discipleship pastor. And so we already have plans for him to launch like 10 or 15 more community groups and Sunday school classes, and uh, he, is, he has hit the ground running uh, with us. And so Noah, Judah, and Daniel are also here. Judah's sitting right there in the very center aisle, uh, right there in the middle. So we're really glad to have their family. Would you all welcome them to First Charlotte this morning? All right. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and take them and turn them to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. So this past week, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were on vacation. Our family got it just a break to get away, and we went to Pigeon, Pigeon Forge. And one of the things in Pigeon Forge that we had to do was Dollywood, which is a massive theme park. And a um, little fact about me, I love theme parks. I love everything about theme parks. I love the horrible food that's there. I love the hotness of it. I love, I really, really love the rides. I love roller coasters. I love to do things like that. There's really not anything that that scares me until I try it. And then I'm like, never again, I'll do that. But I'll try it once. And so um, as my goal this time as we went through, uh, it was to get all my kids to ride the, the, the most extreme rides that we co- could. And I knew that Hudson would be right along with me. Uh, I mean, I, I raised him that way. We've been doing that all his life. And Hayden, Hayden is a little bit different though. He's, he's more cautious and he's also really strong-willed. So when he doesn't want to do something, it's really hard without threatening his life to do it. And you're at Dollywood in front of a lot of people. Not really a great place to threaten a kid's life. I mean, I'll do it behind closed doors, but not in front of a lot of people and so forth. But the tender one, the one that I really was, was, was going to patiently wait and work very carefully with was our daughter Hadley, who's eight years old. And so most of the morning, Hudson and I were, and Hayden were, were off kind of by ourselves doing that thing. At lunchtime, we, we hooked up, we met up with Kyla and Hadley, and, and Hadley then went along with me. And all throughout the day, I had been picking out certain rides for her because uh, I had seen like really little people, um, young children on some of these rides. And I thought, she'll see that. She'll be comfortable with it. No big deal. Nah, that was not the case. Uh, I mean, she was resistant to everything. So finally, I got her on, uh, which was the most extreme ride that she rode all day. And it was, it was a boat. You know the boat? Like, it's like a pirate ship and it, and it just, just rocks back and forth. No big deal. I mean, you don't even strap in really. You just sit there. And I mean, it was like we were skydiving. She was terrified. And she was so angry at me 
afterwards. I mean, other kids are smiling, laughing, and she has this stone-cold glare on her face the entire time. But one of the things that was really sweet about it, so it was like a definite miss, like bad father of the day award. But one of the cool things about it, the sweet things about it, was how, how hard she clenched my arm. I mean, not the bar in front of her. I mean, she was both arms wrapped around my arm the entire time. So, like, I figured it out. Like, one day when she's a teenager and she won't ever hug me again, we're going and getting on the pirate ship because I think she'll do that again. But in that moment, I mean, it was, it was, it was really nice to kind of be the dad in that moment and, like, I'm here to rescue you. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. But also very, very comforting for her, I guess, that my arm was there and she could grab onto it. You know, whoever you are in life and wherever you've been in life, all of us come through a place in time where we're way beyond what we have the capacity to handle. We get to these moments in life where things are difficult and things are hard. And one of the blessings and one of the awesome, unique things about following Jesus Christ is that you and I always have an anchor to hold on to. We, we can always lean upon Christ. Whether we were leaning on him beforehand or not, it's oftentimes moment of crisis and the difficulty of life that we all will face and all go through is remind us of the important necessity of our trust in Jesus Christ. And they pull us back. They anchor us down. They, they, they call us back to him. In fact, I think God sometimes lets us go through some difficult things those, those big drops in life and those extreme moments in life just to remind us of our need of him. But you know one of the other things that we find in those moments that God uses to comfort and help us in those difficult times of life that God intends and purposes that we would find an ability to lean and grab hold of is his church or his people. You know, because while you trust in Jesus Christ and you trust in him through those moments, you can't grab hold of his arm physically. We're comforted by his presence, but honestly, his presence oftentimes shows up to us. His assurance and his health, help shows up to us in the form of his body, the church. morning, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul, near the end of his life, his life, one of the most difficult times of his life, reminds us of the crucial importance of the community of the church. Because when he needed them most, they were there. We've been going through our value, values this summer kind of four essential things that make us who we are as a church. And remember that the first one is that um, Jesus Christ is exclusive and exalted. The second one is that the Bible is foundational and central. The third one is that the mission is foremost. But the fourth one is that the church is authentic community. We are authentic community. Now, the other three things really are more about, you know, on the one hand, what we're about, Jesus where we get our direction, the Bible. Third, what we're here to do, the mission. But this fourth one, we all greatly benefit from. 
Like when we do this one right and we fill, we fill this out in our lives right and in our church right, there's something that we all get from this. And there's something incredible that we give from this. Authentic community. The Apostle Paul had an authentic community, and I want to draw your attention to what he says about the community in his own life. Stay in honor of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Now Paul is wrapping up one of the last letters he writes. To one of his dearest friends. And like Paul does in a lot of his letters, he ends it with kind of some personal instructions, some personal remarks. We kind of, we kind of get a, just a little picture in. We get to kind of read his emails, read his text, listen in on his phone call with one of his closest friends in his life. And he says this in verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. So get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for my ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, would you bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas? And also would you bring the books, and above all, the parchments? Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and has strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You can be seated. Now, it kind of looks like, as we're looking at this, like we're reading something very private and very personal for Paul. Paul ended many of his letters, especially towards the end of his life, he ended them with a lot of personal remarks. In fact, there's one whole chapter of just basically say hi to these people. Would you mention this? Would you say hi? And so he would just like go through this name list, but a lot of times he would make these personal remarks, just kind of personal instructions. And Timothy his two letters to Timothy are very much like that. He, he was very close to Timothy. Timothy was a guy, he had known most of his ministry. He had met Timothy as a very young man, and he had mentored Timothy. He had encouraged him. Likely, Timothy came to faith in Christ under the teaching and preaching of the Apostle Paul, and Paul took him under his arm and discipled him. Timothy went on many missionary journeys with him, and Paul basically raised Timothy up to be a pastor and preacher and appointed him here to the church that he's pastoring at the time, the church of Ephesus. Paul absolutely loved Timothy, and so at the end of his life, Paul begs Timothy to come see him. In fact, he says it three times in this letter. He begins the letter with that entire, that, that idea in verse 4. In here in verse 9, he begs him, and then again in verse 21, he says, please come to me soon. Get here. I need you. And I think that's one of the things that we need to understand about the church. About authentic community. Is that authentic community is, is there for you when you need them. That a friend, a real friend, is there for you when you need them. And that the church is to be there for you when you need them. Paul was near the end of his life. This is likely one of the last letters that he wrote to anyone. He's living a very difficult life and he's very, probably the most difficult life. He's old, he's in prison, he's likely sick, he needs help. He needs people. And what we get a picture into are the people in his inner circle 
his church, his community that was there for him, by him. Begins by telling us who bailed on him, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Kind of throws a little shade on Demas and, and says basically, hey, this guy was with me, but he's departed. He, he got so attracted by the world and he's left, he's departed, so I'm, I'm by myself without him. Crescens, he doesn't say anything negative about him, but he says he's gone to Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. Luke is with me. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the author of the book of Acts, journeyed with Paul much of the way, and here he is at the end of the road with him. Then he says, Mark, bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for my ministry. Now, what is interesting about Mark is that likely this Mark was the Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark, And it's also likely that this was a Mark that Paul had spent time with when Mark was a young man. And so in Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas, who mentored Paul, Barnabas brought along a relative of his by the name of John Mark or Mark. And as they finished that one up and they got ready to go out on the second one, um, Barnabas was like, all right, we're going to take Mark. And Paul said, we're not taking Mark. In fact, I'm so serious about not taking Mark, is if you take Mark, I'm not going with you. And so he and Barnabas got into a little bit of an argument, not a little bit of an argument, a big argument about it, so to the point that they decided we're going separate. You take Barnabas, and I'll go my own way, and I'll get some other guys. And so Paul built a circle around him of men that he traveled with and he journeyed with. And here later in life, Paul needs that man who had deserted him a long time ago. Paul's inner circle was a group of people that were there for him when he needed them. That's what community is about, being there for each other in the hardest and most difficult times of our lives. Because the journey that we're on in faith is not an easy journey. I don't know if anyone's let you in on this clue, but following Jesus Christ is not easy. If it is easy for you, then you're probably doing something wrong. You're not riding the bike properly. Because this is not an easy thing. The world is against us, and our sin and our sinful nature is against us. And then life has all sorts of bumps and curves and and, and difficult moments that we walk through. Walking with Jesus through all of that, And following the pathway he wants us to go isn't necessarily an easy thing. I mean, look at where it put Paul. It put Paul in prison. He'd been in prison for numerous years now. And prison wasn't a beautiful thing in those days. Not that it is today either. But it was really bad in those days. You got stuck in prison and they didn't feed you. They didn't take care of your needs. They didn't take care of your medical needs. There was no attention given. You're just stuck in a cell and you're left on your own. And so the only way for you to survive in prison is by your family and friends that come and provide for you. We don't know anything about Paul's family, but we do know these men were there with him in his darkest, most difficult times. And listen, following Jesus Christ and in your life, you and I are going to have difficult times. We need community there for us at that time. Essentially, that's what we as a church are. A group of people gathered under the banner of Jesus Christ who make the commitment to be there for each other when it's hard. One of the greatest friends of human history, 
was about eight years old his entire life. Through thick and thin, he was steady and he was present for his friends. His name was Charlie Brown. Charlie said this to one of his friends. Listen, Linus, friendship isn't about who's been around the longest. It's about the friends who stand at your side during the bad times. True friends, a real church, authentic community is being there for you when times are tough. See, these difficult moments, these crossroads, they define our friendship and our community just as much as they define our faith. Paul had men that were there with him. Listen, church, that's what we need to be for each other. That's what you need to be for the people that are part of this faith family. There. Present. There's an accountability we have with each other that isn't just an accountability of what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right. It's an accountability of being present and accounted for when one of us is walking through difficulty or one of us is struggling and suffering. You see, a real authentic community, what we must be as a church, for the very least, each other is there when we're in need. But it's not just that we're present. It's also that we're helpful. The authentic communities isn't just there for you when you need them, but they also give you what you need. Notice verse 13. I mean, verse 13 of kind of all these verses seems to be the most insignificant one because Paul is literally just giving Timothy a a grocery list. I, I need you to bring these things to me. I mean, basically he's saying, before you come, Make sure you pack these as well. Kind of just a, a list that would not seem very significant at all. I mean, we, you send these to your spouse before they leave the grocery store or before, you know, you, you come home or something like that. Bring me this. Don't forget to bring this. And, that, and that's essentially what he says. So, so just bring me some items. When you come, bring the cloak that I, I left with you at, uh, with, with Carpus at Troas. I don't know anything about that cloak, but apparently it was really special to Paul. I mean, maybe it was... Really nice leather cloak. I'm not really sure what was up with the cloak or the coat. It could be that winter was coming. In fact, he tells us later that do your best to become before winter. And so Paul realized that I'm here in this prison. It's going to get cold. It would be nice to have a jacket because I'm not feeling well. And so when it gets cold, it would be really nice to be having, have a cloak. It's something just simply personal to him. You know, you have personal things that you got to have. Things that you can't live without. Things that if you didn't have these things, man, you're going to have to replace them immediately. Or you'd be a little sad if you didn't have those things. My wife has a pillow. And wherever we go, it's an item she always brings with us, a pillow. Whether it's a hotel or another place we're staying or whether we're riding in the car for more than one hour, she brings her pillow with her. I'm assuming it's a comfort, but also she wants to sleep on her pillow. And in fact, if she doesn't have her pillow, she can't sleep. It's that significant and that important to her. So likely, if my wife ever got put in prison, she probably won't ever get put in prison. But if she did, 
I can imagine in her letter to me or in her phone call, she'd say, hey, next time you come, would you bring my pillow? Something simple, personal, helpful to his current need. And then he says, and bring the books. What books? I have no idea what books. And I've, I've, I've looked, and there's lots of different speculation of what these are. The Bible doesn't tell us books. Maybe they were autobiographies. Maybe they were instruction manuals. I'm not really sure. Likely they had something that were significant to his life. Uh, for his learning and for his teaching and for his ministry. But then the next thing he says here, and the parchments. And that's an interesting one. We're not exactly sure what these were, but it is likely that the parchments that Paul possessed or that Paul had access to were probably copies, scrolls of the Old Testament. Paul is asking for things he needs from his friend. Personal things, physical things to help him, and spiritual things. Paul is saying, would you bring these things that I need to help me? See, authentic community gives you what? You need. Now here's where the authenticity is really important here. Here's why authenticity is so important in our community. We can't give you what you need if you're not real. If you're not genuine and you're not authentic. If the Apostle Paul shows us anything in his life and his journey, in the different letters we read and in the different stories we read in the book of Acts that Paul was part of, we, we learned this about Paul. Paul was real. I mean, one of the greatest Christians the world has ever known, I mean, wrote almost half the New Testament. No one was more inspired by the Holy Spirit and probably walked with Jesus Christ longer or more in depth than anyone else. I mean, we all glean from his walk with Jesus and what the Holy Spirit did in his life. Paul was an exceptional, awesome Christian, follower of Jesus Christ. I cannot wait to meet him one day in heaven. I'm going to try to make a beeline and get in that long line to meet the Apostle Paul one day. But Paul was also very real. I mean, this, this incredible follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, Talks about his thorn in the flesh. Calls himself the chief of sinners. Never, never, never left who he was as far as reminding us how bad he was before Jesus. How much of a sinner and how weak he was and how prideful and arrogant he was. You see Paul getting angry at people. Paul was real. Was authentic. And here in the latter part of his life, Paul is not afraid to admit his weakness and ask for help. Listen, man, I'm cold and sick and old. Bring my coat. I'm bored. Bring me some books. And I need some spiritual nourishment because I'm still not yet where God wants me to be. So would you bring the Bible, the parchments, so that I can listen to his word and grow in him? Paul's not acting like he has it all together. Paul's not polished. Where is it and why is it that we've gotten this mentality that when you come together with a group of people called the church, you got to have it all together. 
You got to be dressed nice. You got to speak nice. You got to act nice. You got you to look like you're a Christian. Not only is that wrong, that's heresy. That's false. The very idea is that we are Christians and followers of Jesus means we don't have it together. Means that we're in deep need of grace. There is far too much happening today in the church of phony and fake. Walking in, acting like you got it all together. Watching and observing everybody else's need and judging other people for what you perceive so that you now can stand in such a way as that I do have it kind of together. I'm okay and I'm all right. Listen, if you can't come into this place and be real, why are you coming at all? This is not a show. This is not a parade. This is the place we need because we are in need. And of the one place in all the world that you ought to be able to be yourself, it ought to be here. And I understand reverence. I understand, you know, we ought to, we ought to, we ought to dress our Sunday best and, and look our best for the Lord. You know what your best is before the Lord? Your worst. You and I are not impressing God by bringing him our best. He sees right through it anyway. The best you can bring and the most reverent thing you can bring to the Lord and his people is just you. And your brokenness, and your shame, your hurts, and in your celebrations, the things that God is doing, and the good things he is doing in your life, just to be real. We live in a world of phony and fake, and we have real life living in us, a type of life that no one else has but a person saved by the life and grace of Jesus Christ. So let's be real. And when we're real, it's then that we see needs. And we're not afraid and we're not ashamed to talk to people about the fact that, hey, we don't have it all together. Hey, my marriage wasn't great this week. Hey, I, my job really stinks and I really don't like it. Hey, I'm struggling and I'm sick and I'm frustrated. Hey, I'm not really walking with the Lord. Hey, I don't really know all the answers. Together, we walk that road together. There for each other. Help those, their needs, whether it be physical necessities or whether it be spiritual nourishment. An authentic community brings us what we need in our time of our need. But if I don't know you, I don't know how to help you. So be real. Be honest with you, just on a side note, it's one of the reasons why I, I stopped wearing a suit like 10 years ago. Because it's not me. There's nothing wrong with one at all. But it's not who I am. It's not what I wear on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. 
And I don't want to come up and be fake. I want to be real. And I hope you as well will as well because that's what is needed from each other. Authentic community gives us what we need. It, it's there for us when we need them. And also, it's not just there and present, but it also gives us what we don't need. It, it, it warns us and keeps us away from what we don't need. And that's where Paul goes with this next in verse 14. Notice what he says, hey, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will pray him according to his deeds. I love that statement, by the way, that someone went against the Apostle Paul, hurt the Apostle Paul, and Paul leaves it in the Lord's hand. So confident in the vengeance of the Lord, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. God's got him taken care of. Paul didn't have to seek revenge, but he certainly was glad for revenge and left the avenging up to God. But then notice verse 15, and this is really important. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And at my first defense, no one came to me, all deserted me, and may it not be charged against them. Paul was hurt by Alexander. Now, who was Alexander the coppersmith? Well, he was a coppersmith. What's a coppersmith? A person that smiths copper. Very simple. He's a metal worker. That's his trade. His name was Alexander, a very common name in those days. We're not really sure who Alexander was. It could have been the person he mentions elsewhere. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, he talks about a man by the name of Alexander that was once with them that deserted the faith, essentially. And he's angry at Alexander, and he prays for God's judgment upon Alexander. This could be the same Alexander. It could also possibly be another Alexander mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, I think. Because that Alexander was also in Ephesus. You see, Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus which is why he's probably receiving warning about an Alexander who was there at Ephesus. Well, another Alexander there in Ephesus is in Acts chapter 19. There's a riot in Ephesus, and a man stands up, calms the crowd got down, and his name is Alexander. It could be that that Alexander ended up following Jesus Christ, became a member of the church there in Ephesus, began walking with Jesus, and then at some point in time deserted and then sought to do harm to the work of Jesus. Whatever the case was, Paul doesn't like Alexander. And he warns Timothy, stay away from him, he'll hurt you. He hurt me. Why? Because he's a friend. Why? Because Timothy's part of his community. And being part of authentic community means not just that we help each other, we're there for each other, but we also warn each other. We see that in the friendship of Jonathan and David, King David, his best friend in life was the son of the king who he was succeeding and going to take over for, King Saul. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan and David were the best of friends. Man, they loved each other. And Jonathan got wind and word that David was going, his life was on the line, that his dad, Saul, was going to kill David, was seeking to kill him, was threatened by him. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan sets up a whole scenario in order to warn David so as to save David's life from his dad. There are lots of things you and I need to be warned of. There are general things in life that you need to be warned of and that others need to be warned of. There are things in your life and in my life that you and I don't see well, but others do that we need to be warned of. If we're journeying on Jesus, you got to understand that there are things that will pull us off that track in the days ahead and in that pathway. And the purpose of the church, 
One of the purposes of the church is to help each other stay on that path. To not be sidetracked. You see, there are things in your life, this is the uncomfortable part of church. This is the part that we, we just simply ignore. But there are things in your life that are keeping you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life and, and becoming more like Jesus Christ that we notice. And it's our responsibility as your authentic community, as your church, to inform you and warn you, hey, watch out here. One of the things I also love about our church that provides great help and warning is there are people, we're, we're a multi-generational church. We're not just one age. We have many different ages. Not just one. Two genders, but many different ages. In fact, you know what? You, that's the one thing we'll be loose with. You can pick whatever age you want to be. If you want to be a senior adult, you can consider yourself a senior adult. If you want to be a young adult, you can consider yourself a young adult. Okay? Harvey, you're a young adult, man. All right? You can, if you want to self-identify as a young adult, that is just fine. We'll be loose with that one. Hard on the other ones. Black and white on the other ones, but loose on that. One of the things I love about that, though, is our generations, is that there are some people, I'm not pointing the finger, if you identify this way, but there are some people in this congregation, in our, in our fellowship, in our authentic community, that, that I, maybe putting it this way, are a little bit more seasoned in life, have been around life a little bit longer than some others, have experienced life a lot longer time than other people. You might call these people old, that's rude. They're just seasoned. They've seen a lot more things. They've done a lot more things. They've been a lot, down a lot more roads, and many of them have been down the same roads. Do you realize that we have people in our church that uh, have lived through World War II, that were around and alive? We have, have, have one church member that fought in World War II. They have seen so much that we haven't. There are some people that have walked with Jesus so long and in so many different pathways that, that we haven't. There's an obligation that those people have to warn us, but also the obligation that we have to, to learn from them. To seek that counsel and wisdom. Some of you that are, are engaged or are newly, newlywed, there are people who have been married a long time in this room. That can help you and warn you. There, there are people in your authentic community that have been in the career that you're in a long time. They can help you and warn you. <laughs> there, some of you have never bought a house. There are people in this room that have bought a house that can help you and warn you. Some of you have never had kids before. There are people in this room that have had kids, a lot of kids, and have grandkids and great-grandkids that can help you and warn you. There is value in the authentic community that we have because of the protective measures that God gives us within it, the warning to each other. But in order to receive that, got to be real. Authentic part of it. People don't find that in many places. It's a real dog-eat-dog -dog world out here. It's a real lonely place. 
I mean, you can live in an apartment, you can live in a neighborhood. I mean, within feet of other people and never know them. Never speak to them, never talk to them. And that's not abnormal, that's actually the norm. That's actually the society expectation. Kind of stay out of everybody's business. Church is not like the world. And if there's anything the church can be counterculture in, it is that. We don't have to put on a facade and that we don't have to be alone. That we are better together and we're better when we're real together an authentic community. Just simply trying to follow Jesus from wherever he's put us. Whether it be in a prison cell or Thessalonica or Galatia. Or whether it be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Or uptown. We're a squad. We're a family. That's what we want to be for you. That's what we need you to be for us. Simply trying to be what Jesus was, who was Emmanuel, God with us. Who met our need at the cross. And who daily by his Holy Spirit warns us continually over and over and over. And if it weren't enough that he did all this for us and does all of this for us every day, he's also given us his church to be his body. To do what he does as a witness for this world, but also as a friend to each other. God did not intend for you to do your life and to do your journey of Jesus alone. In fact, you can't. Life can be tough. But we need authentic community. Your faith needs a fellowship. Would you be that? Church, that's what we need to be for one another. Let's pray. God, so often we treat this group of people like we treat the people that we recognize at a grocery store or the people that live in our neighborhood. Acquaintances of which we get around, check the box, and depart from. Missing out on the absolute blessing that we are to each other. 
Help us to take off the masks when we're in this place. To be honest and open with each other and to also be real friends. To give of our time and our our resources and energy. Not just for the ministry of church, but Lord, more specifically for the people of the church. Lord, I know we're really, really good at making people feel welcome. But God, make us really, really good at making people feel at home. Making people feel family. Help us to see each one of our responsibilities to do that. Not just come here to be served, but to serve one another. We need it. So as we find our needs met, helped, encouraged, warned from each other, Lord, may we also give it. Be that person for another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.